Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Hello listeners, this is Ken Foray. Make sure you tune in to the Bone Bat Show, the greatest show in horror. Take it from me. The Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. What's up, everybody? This is episode 27 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? It's going good. Why are you talking all slow? Like you're some undead zombie creature from the lower plains of the swamps of hell or something. You know, because I actually spent all of last weekend at the uh, 2000... (laughs) Close horror house. Uh, right. The uh, 2009 Crypticon convention in Seattle. Uh, I spent all weekend kind of hanging out amongst horror film celebrities and comic book creators and just kind of immersing myself in the world of horror. Uh, it was a really fun weekend. I had a great fucking time, man. So uh, because this episode kind of revolves around Crypticon, it's going to be kind of a different thing for us. So just to let you know, it's not our normal episode, but uh, there's a lot of cool stuff coming up. So uh, please give it all a listen. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so. It's like a comic con, except it's for horror. It's like a horror con. Exactly. Yeah, it was total, totally horror based. Uh, it was uh, June fifth through June seventh. I guess this is the second year they've had it, and uh, this uh, 
Crypticon kind of features all aspects of horror. So they had like book authors, they had film celebrities, they showed some movies, they had panels of different folks having to do with the world of horror. They also had like some uh, gaming, horror gaming, and uh, a big dealer room where you could buy comics, videos, pretty much anything you name. Uh, and then uh, another celebrity room that uh, had, you know, you could meet celebrities, get your, you know, autograph or whatever you needed to do. So uh, there was a lot of really cool stuff going on there. Right on. So was it just for fans or was it for, uh, you know, the industry too? Were they unveiling the latest trends in, in gore splattering makeup application or? No, this was definitely more kind of a fan base sort of a deal. So, yeah. So yeah. you met some pretty cool people. I did. I actually I met a bunch of uh, really cool uh, celebrities actually and actors. Um, one of the cool things, uh, fellow podcaster Brother D of Mail Order Zombie and Miss Bren yes. were in town, and so I got to hang out with them a little bit. Uh, we cruised around, and uh, some of the cool people we met got to meet. Uh, you heard him on the, the very top of the show, Ken Foray. From, uh, you folks might remember him from Dawn of the Dead. Uh, he was also in From Beyond and The Devil's Rejects. Such a badass, and like the, one of the nicest guys you ever meet. Big, huge guy with a deep voice. He was really awesome. And he actually has a, this new uh, short-form uh, movie out called Black Santa's Revenge. <laughs> which I picked up a copy of. It, it is fucking so sweet. And my favorite line from the uh, movie is, Making my list. Checking it twice. Gonna put all you motherfuckers on ice. <laughs> That's a Santa I can get behind. Exactly. Yeah, it was, So that was really cool. So I got to meet him. Uh, spent a little time with uh, Tom Atkins, which people would know from like Night of the Creeps and Halloween 3 and The Fog. Uh, I actually got a short interview with him that you'll hear a little bit later in the show. Uh, got to meet uh, Tim Seeley, who's the creator of a comic book called Hackslash. Are you familiar with yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Great comic. Beating the hell, killing the hell out of, out of Undead. Yeah, With exactly. a guy with a gas mask that hangs out with him. Exactly, yeah. And so uh, I have a, a cool interview with him as well. And uh, I spent a few minutes chatting with Lloyd Kaufman, the president of Troma Films, who hooked us up with a couple of movies from their trauma retro line that hopefully we can review over the next few episodes for multimedia triage but the the big interview i got was with uh doug jones who oh really yeah the creature actor uh character actor who has done like so much work with guillermo del toro you'll know him from hellboy 2 from pan's labyrinth especially uh and nicest guy in the world so i got a oh wait doug jones yeah. Uh, Who'd you think? I thought it? you got an interview with Howard Jones, that 1980s pop sensation. Close, but yeah, yeah, not quite. So anyway, yeah, I got that to meet some horrible. cool. Got to meet some cool people. Uh, picked up some cool stuff uh, from the the different booths. Uh, I got this badass vampire print. It's like silk screened in three colors. Ooh. It's really cool. It's gonna look badass in my office. I'm uh, really. It was one of those things that you, you you know how it is when you go to one of these things, and mostly you see a bunch of tables with stuff might not interest you, and then something just grabs you. Yeah. And you're like, oh well, there goes that ten bucks. <laughs> Usually it's a booth babe that's trying to interest me in the latest like, ink supplies or something. <laughs> exactly. So what else? Uh, they there were a couple of panels I attended. There was a a, a panel with Howard Sherman who played Bub in Day of the Dead. He was the kind of domesticated zombie in the army bunker, if you recall that film. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it was kind of sad because uh, there weren't that many people who showed up. There's maybe six people listening to him, but his stories oh. were pretty interesting. 
And then uh, I popped into this woman, Women of Horror uh, panel, which uh, had a number of women from different films. And that was quite interesting as well. So I enjoyed that. Uh, you got didn't to, scream, show me your tits in the middle of it, did you? No, that, that would be, I think that would be a little tough in, in that right. sort of atmosphere. I'd probably get killed by... Yeah, you'd probably get killed. Yeah. We wouldn't be doing this podcast yeah, right Ca- Cassie Hack would uh, finish me off right then and there. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, I uh, saw a couple of movies. I uh, saw... Uh, the guy named uh, Sean Smithson, who uh, writes for Dread Central, was uh, programming the films there. And uh, he did a, a short segment uh, that had this uh, New Zealand horror film, zombie film, called Simply Zombie Movie. There was about three metalheads who get stuck in a car for a week with no gas, and it's surrounded by zombies. And how they deal with the situation is pretty hilarious. It's like 10, 15 minutes long. You can actually download it off of Steam, of all things. No kidding. Yeah. And it's huh. pretty funny. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, and then uh, they, they had a couple other movies. Uh, Dead Set, which we talked about before, which is a British uh, miniseries, zombie miniseries that's fantastic. That played, but I didn't go see that. And I missed uh, a film called Pontypool, another zombie film that's coming out, which uh, is supposed to be pretty awesome. Uh, it's currently, I guess, playing on demand on IFC, so I can catch it elsewhere. But uh, the big one was... Uh, a film called Dead Snow, which played on Sunday, which is a Norwegian, yeah. a Norwegian Nazi zombie film. That uh, oh, I was thinking it was a German. No, it's actually from Norway. Yeah, but yes, uh, the German uh, connection is certainly there with the Nazis. So, I, I believe the, uh, the the movie's poster catchphrase is "Eins zwei die," <laughs> which is fucking cool. So. Anyway, um, in uh, at the end of the show for Multimedia Triage, I'll be re- reviewing Dead Snow a little bit. So. Uh, the music that we're listening to this evening is from Jorge and our buddies at Barefoot Barnacle. Who I'm uh, wearing a Barefoot Barnacle t-shirt right now. How sweet is that? That or not, it's the truth. <laughs> I believe it, man. I've got one of those. Julie has one. Everybody should have one. But uh, Barefoot Barnacle, you guys have heard them. They were on. They've been with us ever since episode two of the Bone Bat Show. Uh, we did a full episode with them in uh, episode six, and then Jorge guested, I believe, on uh, episode eleven, also known as Spunk and Disorderly. Anyway, they're getting ready to go into the studio by the end of this summer, so they're going to actually have a CD release before long. Uh, we will have them back on the show, but tonight uh, you guys can just chill to their music a little bit uh, while we uh, talk in between these interviews. Wow, so, uh, so let, let's get into it, man. I mean, should, should we even bother starting off with what, what pisses us sure, off? Sure, yeah. You got a little what pisses us off this week? Yeah, well, I do. You know, I, I got to tell you, this since I wasn't so blessed as to attend the, the event that most of this uh, episode's interviews are going to come from, mine is just a, a general thing. And So you know what pisses me off? What's that, dude? Com- completely ineffective parents parents that just don't have a clue are, are I, I you swear. looking at me when you say that no but i'm looking at a picture of you <laughs> <laughs> no man i'm in this i'm in the store and there's this woman whose kids are just going ape in the grocery store and and she says to them no less than 20 times I, i'm not kidding claps her hands calls their names and says come here unless you don't want your cookie over and over, come, unless you don't want your cookie, come here. Lady, the kids know they're gonna get their cookie. Clearly, you're giving them the cookie no matter what. It's just, the kids are gonna do whatever they wanna do, and when they're done, they're gonna go get their cookie because this lady is just not clued in. I hate, I just hate parents. I hate people, I hate parents. I hate parents that don't know 
that their kids are as smart as they are and care a lot less. Yeah. That's what pisses me off. That's one of those things, man. She just needs to go, hey, first of all, don't have to reward them for not asking out. Come here. And if there's a cookie involved, come here if you don't get your cookie. And if they don't come here, guess what? You don't get your cookie. And then you still have to come here. Seems like with a lot of parents nowadays, you know, it's like a, every treat and every play date is like a God-given right for the kids. It's not like a reward or something you have to earn. It's always something that the bare minimum is here's a cookie. And it might be a cupcake or a cake or a free video game. Yeah. But no, you know, you don't give them no, shit. My kids, and then, like, yeah, the, the, those things are special. You know what's special for my kids? Indoor plumbing. <laughs> how much of an ass I am for a father. Well, so what, in, what about you? What pisses you off? Well, you know, in, in light of the convention, one of the things that pisses me off is when you meet one of your horror movie heroes and he immediately brings up one of the most painful sporting events in your adult life. Ooh, that really pisses me off. But uh, I'll, I'll leave it to Tom Atkins to tell us more. This is Steve from the Bone Bad Show, and I'm at Crypticon 2009 in Seattle with Tom Atkins, horror legend. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. How about you? I'd be happier if the Penguins had won last night, but um, they got humiliated by Detroit. I hate Detroit. <laughs> I don't blame you. I, I'm not a fan of any Detroit sports teams. But, you know, being a Seattle sports fan is a very hard road to hoe. <laughs> yeah, I'm sad to say that the Steelers... Uh, Took care, of, took care of the uh, Seahawks a couple of years. It was three years ago, something like that. Oh, you had to bring up that. Didn't I'm you? sorry, yeah, but I'm a Steeler fan too because I'm. I grew up in the Pittsburgh so area. So you don't feel it all bad that Roethlisberger got a gift? He didn't make it into the end zone. You know it. I know it. I do not feel bad. As far as I could see, he made it into the end zone. As far as the officials could see, he made it into the end zone, and that's all that matters. I guess the check cleared for the officials. <laughs> Seattle sports fans are a very bitter lot. You'll have to bear with me. So you've had a, a storied uh, film career, uh, a lot of awesome horror movies that I enjoy, The Fog, Creep Show, uh, Halloween 3, and my favorite, Night of the Creeps. Uh, you, you, you don't always play a cop, but you always play a badass. What has been uh, one of your favorite roles over your career? Oh, the, uh, Ray Cameron in Night of the Creeps is my favorite. I had more fun doing that movie than any. It's a, it's my favorite movie uh, that I've ever been involved in, and I had great lines in it. He was a world-weary guy, and it just suited me to a T at the time. I was a world-weary guy and ready to get out of L.A. for a while, and that's when we made it. And that's kind of what the, the that is fun about that movie is it starts out, you know, in the black and white the 50s when your character is kind of young and innocent and has the whole his whole life to look forward to. Yeah. And then you jump ahead 30 years and he's got freaking zombies. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, they they ate my girlfriend. They they killed her dead with a hatchet in in, in a convertible. And I didn't like it. Uh, she had dumped me though the week before. It was really honest to god it was just like my life at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the things I'm pretty fired up about is the fact that Night of the Creeps is finally coming out on DVD this fall. Yeah, it is. It's coming out in October. Sony, in their infinite wisdom, finally, 22 years later, after it's developed an incredible cult following, you wonder, what the hell were they thinking? You know, Why didn't they do it right after we shot it or a year or two later? Nah, they wait until... 
22 years. But it is coming out. Fred Decker's doing a detective's cut and putting the original ending back in, and we've all been, all the cast are still alive, and we've been um, interviewed on camera for the extras reel, you know, to talk about it. And I'm going to a, a screening. I, I'm not sure why, because the DVD doesn't come out until October, but supposedly there are more horror fans for Square Inch in Austin, Texas than anywhere. <laughs> and they are having a big uh, Night of the Creeps reunion with uh, Fred and Laurie and me and and uh, the, the two boys, uh, Spanky and Alfalfa. We're all going to be there uh, next, uh, the 13th of June, next weekend, Saturday, at the Austin Draft House for a big Pabugo. <laughs> you hear that, listeners? You need to get down to Austin for this. This is going to be, it sounds like an awesome screening. Yeah, it's only a 2,000 mile drive. What the hell? Go ahead. Not all of my down. listeners live in Seattle, so hopefully there's a few Austin folks who can swing by for you. Okay, and uh, one last thing. No Bone Bat interview would be complete without asking, what pisses you off, man? Uh, you know, you, I knew you were going to ask that. But I, <laughs> the Detroit Red Wings pissed me off more than anything. People being late uh, also pissed me off. I'm an early guy. I'm, I'm Wherever I'm supposed to be, I'm there ahead of time, and I hate it when people are late. I, I know what you mean. I'm the same way, and my yeah. wife's kind of the opposite. <laughs> you know, you See, know. I've, well, fortunately, my wife is 2,000 miles away from me, but I'll, I'll say, yes, she is a late person. I am an earlier on-time person. Unfortunately, we have a 19-year-old son who is now emulating her time pattern uh-huh. in life. <laughs> which is a disappointment to me, and it pisses me off. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Sure, Steve. Thanks. It was fun. You betcha. All right. The night of the formal is finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. They get into your mouth, and you walk around while they incubate, even if you're dead. They are a new breed of terror. Zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies. We could have a little problem. The creeps are taking over. Oh, I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Night of the creeps. If you scream, you're dead. This is Tam Seeley, writer of Hackslash, and you are listening to The Bone Bat Show. And we're back. So next up, uh, I've got an interview with Tim Seeley, the creator of uh, the aforementioned Hackslash, which yeah. is a uh, pretty awesome comic book. Uh, have you been reading it? 
I, I've read uh, various issues of it. It's not one that I've been following religiously, but any comic book that involves uh, basically kick-ass hot girls with, you know, undead fighting and blood and guts, I'm all over it. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, basically what it's about, this woman, Cassie Hack, who is like the survivor of a serial killer attack, and uh, she partners with this huge, disfigured, hulking guardian named Vlad, who wears, like you said, a gas mask and trench coat, and his weapons of choice are two huge meat cleavers. And they basically... Yeah, because he was raised by a butcher, right? A butcher rescued him from a trash can as an infant and raised him as his own. Absolutely. The... Well, yeah, and, and Cassie Hack's mother was a serial killer known as the Lunch Lady. So they've got, like, all this great backstory. And then you turn around, and they they basically partner to chase down serial killers and put them out of business. And, and the cool thing is there's there's also kind of a twist that there, there are these certain serial killers that come back from the dead that are known as slashers, that are kind of this undead supernatural sort of thing that they're hunting down, and they're pretty badass. And so it, it's, a, it's a very cool series. It's got a lot of humor in it, uh, great-looking women, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. Anybody who's into horror movies should definitely check it out. But uh, I spent a few minutes talking to Tim Seeley, and here's the interview. This is Steve from the Bone Bat Show, and I'm at Crypticon 2009 in Seattle with Tim Seeley, creator of Hackslash, a fantastic graphic novel that actually I'm a, just a new convert to. I, I have to say I picked it up uh, this last uh, free comic day. I stopped in my local shop. Support your local comic book shop, people. And uh, picked up the first omnibus and uh, was totally dazzled by it. I'm amazed it took me so long to, to pick it up, actually, considering, you know, I love hot brunettes and I love horror movies. It's two of my favorite things. I don't know why it took me so long. It's okay. It's okay. It happens. I'm, you know, I'm always, I always think, well, you know, all these people, they're like, you're horror fans. You didn't, you didn't read it? And they're like, well, it looks stupid. I'm like, well, okay, I, whatever, you know, how can I argue with looks stupid? I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is a tough one. Uh, so how did you get the idea for Hackslash? Uh, basically, it just came from, you know, uh, I spent a couple days sick around Halloween one year. And, uh, you know, the only thing on TV but on every station was just, they would run marathons of every, you know, horror movie slasher franchise that existed. So, you know, I think, you know, TBS or something was playing every Halloween, you know. They're just doing it all day and I'm sick, I'm laying on the couch, I got nothing. And I just watched pretty much like 16 hours for two days, you know, every day. Uh, watching these all these franchises of these horror movies, and they just sort of like that, you know, just got on cold medicine or flu medicine or whatever, and I'm like got a fever and I'm tired, and all of a sudden it's like these all these all happen in the same world, you know. So I just had kind of like started to find like there was almost sort of um, like rules to it, like you know there was, I mean obviously there's the ones you know obviously the famous ones touted by Scream and stuff, but there was also sort of this like interesting mythology going on I think where. You know, over time, uh, zombie movies have kind of developed their own set of rules. And, you know, even though Night of Living Dead didn't have the uh, sort of the brains thing, you know, Return did. So now all, you know, sort of the rule on zombies is you shoot them in the head and they eat brains. And it's there's rules to it yeah, after absolutely. time. And slash movies started to have that sort of rules, you know. Kind um, of a shared universe. Yeah, and, they, you know, it was, it was sort of, it came kind of its own sort of monster, I guess. You know, like an individual sort of monster, like a vampire, or like a werewolf, or like a zombie. So, yeah, the idea was just sort of, you know, put a girl in that world um, and give myself an excuse to, like, do a lot of crazy costumed killer weirdos with weird themes, you know. like right. Because for some reason there's always, like, you know, there's always a killer for every holiday because, 
you know, and, and I have to explain why. Whereas, like, obviously, when they made the films, they just did it because it was an easy way to sell a movie. You know, they're like, exactly. oh, I don't have a script, but how about, uh, you know, pick Valentine's Day? Yes, we have a Valentine's Day <laughs> slash movie. You know, bloody my bloody Valentine. You know, they were just doing it because it was like, well, Friday the 13th sold well, Halloween sold well. Those were both days, so thus Groundhog Day Killer makes yeah, sense. You exactly. know, so. So yeah, that was kind of the genesis of that, and then you know, Cassie was sort of based on. A uh, girl I had a big crush on at the time, kind of combined <laughs> with uh, the sort of what I thought, you know, if you actually survived these movies, what would your personality be like? What kind of person would you yeah, be? Yeah, the, so? the final girl taken to the extreme. Yeah, and kind of, you know, the, what, what happens to you after that? What's the kind of person that, um, you know, would be so dedicated as to take this as a job, you know? So, right. and then giving her uh, Vlad to sort of bounce her out, so. So as a pretty amazing artist yourself, how did you end up having a kind of a rotating cast of pencilers? Well, I mean, the easy, real simple answer is I can't afford myself, which is basically just because at the time when I was doing it, I was working as staff artist for Devil's Due, and I was doing a lot of their books as a day job. So it was basically, you know, 9 to 5, I'd go in and draw books. And uh, at first when I was doing Hack Slash, I mean, you know, especially when you do like a creator-own book and, and this, you know, indie book and especially a horror book, you know, you're unproven. So um, I just couldn't like take the time and, you know, take the hit out of the pocketbook to be like, you know, because I live in Chicago, to like be, okay, I'm going to sit down and draw this stuff. So I worked with a guy who uh, lived in Italy and was like really, you know, Stefano Caselli, and who was really willing to be like, you know, I want to give this a try, and um, he could draw it while I wrote. And uh, so then it worked out so well, and I really enjoyed having other people draw it, uh, just because it sort of like added a, uh, they did they added stuff to it, which is really fun for me, you know, to kind of see, you know, his, his take on Cassie and his take on Vlad kind of, they became their own things, and so yeah, I just really enjoyed working with other artists and stuff. And I mean, I love to draw when I get a chance, but I mean, I know it's sort of part of the job that I, I've got to you know work for Marvel and DC and whoever will hire me uh, art-wise, and then on the side I you know write hack slash. Right. Well, that that's one of the things too. Picking up the omnibus like I did and seeing it all in a row, it's kind of neat to see everybody's different interpretation of Vlad. Sure. Sometimes he's more yeah. human-looking. Sometimes he's more misshapen and monstrous. It, yeah. It's interesting how that varies based on each artist's eye. It actually, it, if you really wanted, because I've noticed, I mean, I've, obviously I've had to look at this stuff for so many years now. It actually varies on the gender of the artist. I found girls tend to make him sort of more sweet and sensitive and. He's misshapen, but he's sort of like a, you know, he's sort of a beautiful freak in a way. Yeah. Whereas dudes are like monster, and they, you know, <laughs> if you look at it, like Dave, you know, Dave Croslin's uh, Vlad, Stefano's Vlad, all the guys made him like total Hulk basically, and the girls all make him sort of more, sort of cute and, yeah, I mean, not cute, I guess exactly, but he's not like a, you know, they they they'd rather make him sort of sensitive and and you know, it, and it's funny because it actually it, it holds to. Emily drew him a certain way, and now I've got the new artist on uh, issue 24 uh, and 25. He draws him just like total, like, Jason Voorhees monster dude. So. <laughs> it's, it's weird. But, yeah, it's definitely just it's gender. <laughs> That's really cool. Okay, so one of the things that, that I've enjoyed is Vlad's sense of humor as well. And, or lack thereof, yeah, I guess. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But it ends up being really yeah. damn funny. And ca- kind of ca- how Cassie plays off of him. Yeah. And it, in my favorite horror, things like you, you mentioned, Return of the Living Dead, yeah. uh, American Werewolf in London, Shaun of the Dead, it, my favorite films tend to be ones that mix horror with humor yeah. really well. Mine too. You're doing a good job of that in the comic. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I love horror movies, but I, and, and I've always loved horror movies, but I, 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 it's so hard for me to enjoy most horror movies that take themselves too seriously. Yeah. And it, I mean, but there's still. I mean, obviously, Halloween is not funny, but it's it's a great movie. But um, 
but the ones that I've always liked the most, you know, I mean, I'll take Night of the Creeps over Saw any day. Yeah. You know, because I would rather have something that, I mean, to me, like, you're more likely to be scared if it, if it's also, you're sort of off guard because the rest of the time you're laughing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it kind of, yeah. it kind of backs you off a little bit and puts you back yeah. in a comfort zone. The exactly. Before sticking it to you. Yeah, and, and I mean, so many, so many modern horror movies, you know, the, the torture sort of porn genre where, you know, all it is is just relentless beating you in the face with, you know, with how horrible this is and how painful it is. It's like, it's not fun. You know, I'm not enjoying myself at all. So, I mean, to me, like, I mean, I didn't, you know, to me, horror movies were always Evil Dead 2 and they were always, you know, uh, Trick or Treat uh, and, you know, those were the great horror movies to me. So, um, all, from the very beginning, Hackslash was always going to be a horror comedy thing, even though I think, you know, especially when we were sort of shopping around in Hollywood uh, early, before we got our deal or whatever, the producers were, you know, or studios were always like, oh, no, people don't like funny horror movies. I mean, I, we must have heard that hundreds of times. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, and they, I mean, and, and I guess at the time, the, you know, what was selling, I mean, Hollywood is kind of stupid this way, which was, at the time, people were going to remakes of Japanese movies. So they were like, yeah, people don't watch slash movies anymore. They like, you got, uh, you got the saws, and then now yeah. you've got like, now the, all those movies the are French getting, stuff, like Martyrs yeah. and Inside, which yeah. there isn't a laugh to be found amongst them. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Jesus, that uh, movie Frontiers, which just was like, punching me in the face the whole day like oh <laughs> but I mean and it's funny because you know but at the time you know slash movies are eternal in American horror funny horror movies are eternal in American horror but every lot of other things are just fads you know, Japanese remakes were just a fad and and um, Torture Born was a fad but you know there's they always you know but it's an American comes along yeah exactly yeah that's a, a sudden, fun funny slasher film yeah and all of a sudden you know we've got remakes of My Bloody Valentine remakes of Friday the 13th and you know, they're doing all kinds of, you know, shit, House on Sorority Row got a fucking remake. <laughs> you know, so, like, obviously, the Slash movies are back, and we you know, we knew this. We knew they were going to be back, you know. Absolutely. I don't know why executives are so narrow-sided, but whatever. We got the movie deal, fuck them, I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, so, speaking of the horror movie angle, that you've managed to work in these crossovers with, uh, it first started, I guess, Evil Ernie was the first mm-hmm. one, and then Chucky and yep. Herbert, Rest, Herbert West Reanimator. Yep. So how did that come about? Like, the crossover into the horror movie world, which makes perfect sense, and it should have been, you know... Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was one of the goals early on, too, was to be able to... I mean, obviously, I can't get everybody, and, and some of the right, characters... licensing and... And some of the characters, obviously, early, you know, when we were working on the stuff, are obviously sort of like like proxies. They're they're sort of uh, versions of of the you know characters, sort of because again, like we're saying so with the rules. XO. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, and you just kind of see, and you know, even when you're working with the rules and stuff, you start to see that there's different kinds of slashers. There's the dream slasher. There's the you know the sort of like guy who was wronged and died and came back. You got all this sort of. So I wanted to do like play with some of those but it just happened to work out you know that uh, I met the guys who were who owned the evil or anything I was like that he's like the only all original comic book slasher I mean he's pretty much the only one that you know comes exclusively from comic books and you know uh, has stuck around for a long time so that was like one I really wanted to go for and then you know Chucky kind of fell into our lap because the studio that bought High Slash for a movie owned Chucky oh perfect so yeah and they, they let us use him and then um, I ended up working with a guy on the Halloween comic who was friends with the guys that own the reanimator films. So mm-hmm. then I ended up working with them. So it's like, you know, I haven't tried to too actively pursue it because I, I think it's, you know, sometimes it's more of a pain in the ass than it's worth. But when they fall in my lap and they're easy, then I'm like, yes, we have to do it. And kind of just, so, you know, it adds to that sort of um, 
the shared universe. The shared universe idea, yeah. exactly. Which, you know, I mean, and if I had my dithers, I would love to be able to do, you know, I'd love to be able to do everybody. I'd love to do a Michael Myers story. I'd love to do a Jason story and, and all those characters. But, you know, I mean, if it, if it happens, it'd be great. Uh, I've got ideas for all those, you know, and if, if it doesn't, I've got my own sort of storylines to work with, so mm-hmm. it'll work. But, yeah. Well, another thing is pretty cool is how you've, you've tied in also kind of uh, your real-world experiences. So, like, sure. a comic book carnage, yeah. this convention, but also having fun with it, you're able to kill off Steve Niles and Robert Kirkman, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now, then I'm always like, wait, I have to be consistent within that universe. Now there couldn't be, like, Walking Dead can't still be going on right. in the Hack Slash universe because Robert's been dead for three years. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Well, it could be taken up by some. I guess someone may take it the range. No yeah. pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This guy, Tim Seeley, fucking came out and took it on for him. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, can you give me an update on the Hack Slash movie? What's going on? Um, I mean, you know, the last thing, uh, they had optioned it previous to that, which means, you know, they're sort of considering making it, but they outright bought the rights, so uh, I guess that means they're on it. Um, I mean, I saw, I think they probably are working on, like, a polished draft of the script and stuff, but I, I guess I would assume by San Diego Comic-Con they'll kind of be doing it, I guess. I mean, I've been working on the damn comic lately, so I haven't had a chance to check with my uh, agent and the producer to see what's going on, but I guess we'll know something. Cool. Yeah. Well, Gordon and I will be attending San Diego, so cool. uh, yeah, I maybe think we're we'll doing bump a... into you and uh, see if we can get an update there. Yeah, I think we're doing a panel of some sort. Um, I know I'm doing one about horror comics or something, so maybe we'll do have something there. So, we'll see. But yeah, I guess it's just a... Uh, it's a it's Hollywood, so it's always hurry up and wait. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, totally. They rush to get something, and then nothing happens. And then you rush to get something, and then nothing happens. So, um, but yeah, it looks like it's going. I mean, I, you know, otherwise I guess they would have just said, uh, "Thanks, that was great. Now the rights are yours again." And they they bought them outright. So, I guess they're they're ready to go. Someday we'll see a movie. I, I hope. Excellent. <laughs> I think that's about it. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> a, a nice. feature of any uh, bone bat interview would be what pisses you off, man. What pisses me off? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I, um, what pisses me off is how quickly energy drinks go through me. Actually, at this moment, because at this convention they're giving out these free, it's sponsored by this uh, this Venom energy drink people, and uh, I, I don't even mean to drink these things. But as soon as I drink them, I'm like, they just, I'm, I'm just, it's like beer. I'm renting. You're renting. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. And then you know, uh, we found out yesterday if you drink too many of these things, you pee colored. You pee. No shit. Yeah, you pee like bright green or red or yeah. So I mean, how, how many bottles does it take to get that color going? Is well, it one bottle or you got to go five. two, three? Five. He did five. But you should. Even says on the. I mean, it's not the company's fault. It says do not drink more than three. It day. does say that. Yes, it does. Because I mean, your heart could blow up or your <laughs> brain could rupture or whatever. But or your um, urine purple. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but if you know, and it's fine. You know, if I did it, I would drop to drop fucking dead. But the guys with the comic store, they're young kids and. He's only 21, so he can drink these all day right. and not die. Yeah. Uh, but it'll just piss toxic green, and it'll you know look like a nuclear accident or something. So, yeah, true story. And the, the guys who were at this booth yesterday, they all found that out too. They're again, they're all like 18 to 21, so they can drink five energy drinks and not be up until next Friday. Because if I did, I would be up for a week. But yeah, there you go. I'm pretty mellow. Not a lot pisses me off today. So. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you. I really appreciate you speaking with us on the Bone Bat Show. Thank you, sir. All right. (laughs) In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Not that room! Not that room! (laughs) 
Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the Dead. Meet me on the roof at 9 o'clock. Get out. I don't believe We're it. We're going to get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Shoot it, man. Now, except the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences, George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. We must not be lulled by the concept that these are our family members or our friends. They are not. They will not respond to such emotions. Operator dead. Post abandoned. We may never get out of the line. It's everywhere. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center, one of those big indoor malls. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. What is it? We've got a war. I'm afraid. We have spawned our own savagery. Soon it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. They must be destroyed on sight. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. We are down to the line, folks. We are down to the line. Dawn of the dead. And zombie-like, we're back again. <laughs> Sorry. So now we're going to take a quick musical break and listen to Urine Feces by Barefoot Barnacle. Enjoy.
young girl whose only escape was in a legend that wanted her back. The legend speaks of the lost soul of a princess from another world who will one day be reborn. There will be signs that mark her return. There will be secrets that reveal her destiny. There will be a journey that will make you believe. Hey, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. Okay, so uh, next up, we've got our interview with uh, actor Doug Jones. Who, this is a very hard-hitting interview, Gord. I, I really... Did yeah, he hit you hard? I really, uh, you know, did my research. I came up with a lot of hard-hitting questions. And like, how did he sound so much like that guy from Frasier? <laughs> Well, you know the story behind that. I mean, that that was like a dead-on. Exactly. But in the second movie, in Hellboy 2, he did his uh, own vocal work. He did? He absolutely did. Oh, right on. Now, now the the story I heard, I don't know if this is true, and I should have asked him, but I I, I, I suck at interviewing. But uh, (laughs) what I heard was that, uh, what is it, David Hyde Pierce said, you know what, this was your performance. I, I yeah, yeah, and he, he wouldn't be yeah. in the credits out of respect for him. Yeah, That's what I which is fantastic that it was such a good performance. And in the second film, he carried it so well that he did it himself, and he did a fantastic job. He's always good, and uh, you know that. And that that's one of the things that, that's kind of cool. It's always impressive to see him work because often he's playing, you know, totally unique creatures in different types of films. And uh, he always comes to play. And I mean, talk about the nicest guy ever. Well, I, you'll hear. Here it is. Hello, this is Steve from the Bone Bat Show, and I am lucky enough to be sitting here with actor Doug Jones. How you doing, sir? Well, I, I'm good, but I don't know how lucky you are just just because I'm sitting here with you. And I love the name of your show, Bone Bad, right? Bone Bat, actually, Bone Bat. right? Because so I well, see now I'm seeing a connection between myself and your show, and I'll tell you why. I was in Batman Returns, 
and I'm bony. So I think I think we have a we have this is why well, this is why I'm on your show today. Exactly. Yeah. Well, one of the great things about Doug is that he is an actor that everybody has seen, whether they know it or not. <laughs> and I, I just it was funny. I was looking at your uh, your work, and I, I didn't realize, but one of the first times I had seen you was in the Mac Tonight commercials. Yeah. Which was yeah. a very iconic commercial that was on back yeah. in the. Late, uh, 80s? late late eighties, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and early nineties. I did twenty seven commercials as that crescent moon headed character, singing about uh, McDonald's stuff. <laughs> yeah, but that that was the that was kind of like the character and the uh, uh, that that got me known as the guy who's tall and skinny, moves well, wears costuming, and doesn't complain in it. And that's why the creature effects makeup people then sort of like start passing my name around. So that's how it snowballed over the years. It started there. So that's where you got your start, sir. Yeah. So before that, had you done a lot of acting? Or uh, yeah, but before that, I moved out to LA. The, the Mac Knight commercials for McDonald's started in about 1986. At the end of '86 is when I started filming my first ones. Uh, moved out a year before that from Indiana, so uh, so in the you know so, I, so the Mac Knight campaign was near the beginning of my television and film career. Uh, I'd done like three commercials before that, you know, for Bob's Big Boy and for uh, uh, Southwest Airlines. So I was a dancing mummy for them. That was my very first spot. <laughs> so that, so Mac Knight was early on. That happened early. Very cool. So, uh, also, I think I read that uh, you also have worked as a contortionist? Yes. Well, yeah, and people think... No, is that misinformation? No, 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 no. That's right, that's right. <laughs> but but when, you, when you hear contortionist, you think, oh, we must have traveled with the circus. But no, I, I, have, I have no, uh, no act, really. I don't, I don't have, like, a, you know, a, the half-hour Doug Jones contortion show. I can't do... Basically, I can put my... You know, you, of course, you, your listeners can't see this. But um, I can put my legs behind my head, and uh, so I'm kind of a one-trick pony when it comes to contorting. <laughs> so I was, I was picturing that you like saw the Yogi Kudu on That's Incredible back in the day and were inspired. Yeah, and I want to be just like him. <laughs> no, no, no. Basically, I would sit funny uh, uh, when I, while I was watching TV, and my brothers would be like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know what is wrong with me. I'm sitting here comfortably. And that's what was wrong is because it would, shouldn't have been comfortable. So, yeah, my, my knees kind of go up by my shoulders very easily, and, uh, yeah. But it came in handy when early early on in my career, uh, uh, again, commercials and sight gags on sitcoms and that kind of thing. Uh, we need something, some physical comedy something, so, yeah, this guy can throw his legs around his head. Hey! Yeah, so. Oh, very cool. So I, I think the next thing I probably saw you in was Mimic. Uh, how Ooh. did you get started with Guillermo del Toro? It was Mimic. That, that um, uh, Again, because of the creature effects makeup people being the ones who had referred me from one job to the next, uh, I got a phone call mm, in 1997, um, and it was the creature effects makeup people that made the bug creatures for Mimic, the Long Johns, we were called. Mm-hmm. They made the costumes, and they filmed it up in Canada. So there was a tall, skinny guy up in Toronto that had done the actual, you know, wearing of and acting in that role. Now they're doing reshoots in Los Angeles. Well, that Canadian actor was not allowed to work in the United States of America. Ah, issues. Okay. So it was cheaper for them just to get a local guy, which that, who, who's he? What tall, skinny guy do we know? who has been known to wear costuming and act through it. Ah, call that Doug Jones guy. 
So that's why I got a call. Um, and, and I got a call on the same day they wanted to do a night shoot. Can you come down for like three days or three nights of, you know, reshoots for this movie called Mimic? I'd never heard of it. I don't know. And uh, that's when I met Guillermo del Toro. Was um, uh, the my second day of work. At lunchtime, he sat at the table with me, and I was. Uh, the makeups were removable. It was it was a costume with the, you know Velcro on the back, so you go mm-hmm. and come out of it, okay. which is a luxury. <laughs> you know, I'm, I've been glued into more things all day than than, than that. You know, mm-hmm. um, so at lunchtime, Guillermo is uh, is sitting across the table from me, and he, and he's this excited, roly poly, laughable, l- laughing, funny, funny guy, and he and he was like, so tell me what the, what other creatures have you played? And I was telling him, well, oh. Uh, I've you know I listed off all these other movies I'd done like Tank Girl and The Adventures of Galgameth and what else at the time and and he and he said well what oh who was the makeup artist for those and I'd done Hocus Pocus by then too with Bette Midler and, and I was telling him you know Tony Gardner uh, from Alterian Studios and Stan Winston Studios and Rick Baker I and mean, I've worked with all these people, Oscar-winning makeup artists and Guillermo was like oh I love his work what's he like you know like and I, so so it, before long. Um, Guillermo t- told me that he used to be a creature effects makeup artist himself in Mexico, and he, then he became a filmmaker and put himself in his films, mm. making and wearing monster suits, and and uh, so uh, so we had this sort of connection through the world of monsters there, sitting at that table, and he asked me for my card. And I, I uh, said, well, sure. And I happened to have a bag with my card in it with this drawing of myself that I did myself um, and my phone number. And, uh, and my three days ended on that. And then I went off and did other jobs for the next five years. Mm-hmm. And then 2002 rolls around. And uh, I get another phone call from the people at Spectral Motion, uh, which is a creature effects makeup house that uh, owned by Mike Elizalde and his wife Mary and Steve Wang was designing a character for them and Steve Wang and I had worked on another, another job called Darkness Falls, another horror film over in Australia where I played a tooth fairy but I was replaced <laughs> the whole character was replaced with a CG character uh, in the end um, that's a long story but um but because Steve Wang was now over at Spectrum Motion and they were designing a, a, a character costume makeup, I got this phone call. And it was, uh, they were all out to dinner with a director named Guillermo del Toro. I'm like, wait, I know him. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that he'd said the same thing about me earlier that day, which was when they had finished the design for Abe Sapien for Hellboy, the first solo oh, movie. Okay, cool. And Guillermo, they had invited Guillermo to come to the shop to look at this maquette, this sculpture of this, and get an approval on this design. Legend has it that Guillermo del Toro came in the room, it was unveiled, he fell to his knees and said, I am so fat. <laughs> and I think that was his way of saying this is a beautiful, long, limmy creature. And uh, it was around that table that uh, sculptor... Um, Jose Fernandez and Steve Wang and Mike Elizalde uh, said, you know, this really kind of looks like Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro said, Doug Jones. I know Doug Jones. <laughs> and pulled my card out of his wallet from five years ago on that's Mimic. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's really then what cemented our relationship was the first Hellboy movie. 
and then of course after Hellboy, um, you know, another year goes by, and I get a phone call about Pan's Labyrinth, and that changed my life. And, uh, uh, and so, then, so when you first read that script, what did you think? Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. Well, I read an English translation, so I could read it, <laughs> and uh, I, oh my goodness, I had just been. I read scripts all the time. And I, just like days before this one, I'd read, you know, a horror film script that somebody sent me to saying like, oh, would you be in this? And, and it was, you know, blood on the wall, splatter, splatter, you know, boobs shaking. And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, well. And then I get this read Pan's freaking labyrinth. And it was like, oh, such beauty, such art, such poetry. And this was the English translation of it. So mm. it was like, oh, my gosh, it was I turned the last page closed, and I was, I, was, I was wiping tears away. I was so affected by the story that I had just read, and I could visualize all of it because it was written so... And I knew that Guillermo would, would be... He wrote it, and he would, he would also be directing it, so I knew, that, I knew that we were in great hands, you know. So I, uh, it was a no-brainer for me. I, just, I, I said, yes, 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 I'll do it. I do it no matter what. So uh, that began the ride that, right. that became, you know, everything from uh, me speaking Spanish, a language I don't know, uh, on Have film. you been keeping up on that? Since? No, I don't. We <laughs> need to brush up a little bit. But uh, and all the way to you know walking down the red carpet of the Oscars, representing the film uh, with its six nominations. So that was a fun ride for me. So, what are the things about Guillermo del Toro? I don't I don't know who said this quote, but hmm. it's a quote that uh, whenever you go to the movies, you should expect to see something you've never seen before. And mm. whenever he comes to the table, you mm-hmm. go to one of his films, and it's always such a, a creative, dazzling experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to be involved in that, that's got to be pretty amazing. How do you approach inhabiting a character that no one has ever seen before? Mm. Mm-hmm. Like like a, a character that you can't do do a, a background study on? Yeah, you mean exactly. like, yeah. Yeah, no, I... I because his his sick mind will produce all kinds of creatures that don't have a label at the zoo, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but and yet some of them do incorporate animals that that we're familiar with, like the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. Okay, uh, one of his notes he gave me when when I when I was uh, uh, studying up for that and preparing for that role was to he wanted me to have a look at the hind quarter of barn animals, goats, cows. <laughs> Look at the way they stomp their little hooves into the ground. Look uh-huh. at the way they shake flies off. And, uh, and he just said, if you can incorporate some of that into the character here and there, that would be great. Wow. Okay. So that was, that's one fine little example. But he's also got an element of tree to him, this character mm-hmm. does. So there's wooden no- noises and creakety things happening. And there's also a very humanish, upright thing happening, too. So he's walking on two legs and, you know, so... It's the hybrids that, that'll that'll confuse you, mm-hmm. you know. Or you know, you look at an Abe Sapien character, and it's a fish man mutant. So, uh, but he still has that human soul to him. Absolutely, that, that very human. To, yeah, infused I mean, with the humanity, mm-hmm. all the humanity. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, but then I have to look at the fish in my tank at my home office and say like, <laughs> oh, like I like the way their fins make me feel calm when they're gliding through the water. I want Abe to do that. So that's kind of like where Abe Sapiens gesturing came from was right. like watching fish in my tank so that, that that i had i had those those two specific characters you know had, had a you know th- there are animals on our planet that, that, that i could work with f- mm. work from but then other, other oh gosh what are the characters like mm, 
like the Pale Man, for instance, from yes. Pan's Labyrinth. That that was that was a guy that no, there there was no. I, you can't go back and study his family history. You know, you just, you, what what made him who he is and how he is, no idea. But he eats children, and he's hungry. That's what we know. Exactly. Yeah. And he's been asleep for a long time, and it's a child breaking the rules that will wake him up. Right. So that's what I had to go by. Okay. So um, I, I knew that he had to be asleep for a long time, so he's probably kind of crickety and, and getting up. So, uh, yeah. So speaking of Hellboy 2, uh, one of my favorite scenes in that film is when Abe Sabian and Hellboy are both having the girl trouble, and you tie one on together and seeing Barry Manilow. Was that scene written that way in the script, or did you guys do a lot, a lot of ad-libbing for that oh. scene? You know what? Here's the thing about Guillermo del Toro. He's a brilliant writer, and he conceived of that scene all on his own. Uh, and uh, I read it in the script that there was a song to be sung in, in our drunken stupor, and um, when we got to the set, I, uh, I, I asked him, what, what song have you secured? What have, what have you gotten the rights to? When he told me Barry Manilow's Can't Smile Without You, I thought I was going to poop myself because that was a song that I listen I'm, I'm a huge Barry Manilow fan. And when I was in high school, pining away for Mary Jonas, uh, that was one of my first girlfriends, and wondering, does she like me back? I don't know. Can't Smile Without You was on the radio. And I, that would be the song I would turn up and go, I don't know, I can't smile without her. And so here getting to relive that adolescent moment as Abe Sapien was beautiful. Just a beautiful thing for me. So uh, as far as... Uh, that's a, Guillermo is beautiful in the way he writes and he, know, he knows life and life moments so well that, that a lot of things come out looking ad-libbed that, that were very calculatedly written by him. Oh, yeah, fantastic. he's wonderful. It's, he's yes, wonderful. It's such a charming scene, and of course for you as an actor, to yeah, yeah, yeah. a fish man and a drunken one at that, I, and that I, had to be a and lot here, Here's a secret. I've never been drunk in my life. Really? I, I, don't, I don't drink. I don't do chemicals. I don't even know what it's like. So, uh, so I, that was all acting. That was all acting. Yeah. Nicely done. So, thank you. Thank you. So, side note on Pan's Labyrinth. My wife and I have always had this argument about whether Ophelia, if that really happened Everybody to has this argument. Or yeah. if yeah. Uh, my wife, she says that it was a, you know, a coping mechanism to deal with the horror around uh -huh. her. I take things more literally mm -hmm. and, you mm -hmm. know, and buy into the fantastic. And mm -hmm. so I say it really happens. So what yeah. do you think? How do you feel about it? Well, it was written and shot for you to believe either way could happen, right? Mm -hmm. that, I think Guillermo did that very calculatedly and very on purpose. Um, and because I, I yeah, in that way, it, it appeals to an even broader audience, doesn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. sure. And, yeah. and it also, so for me, though, having gone on that whole ride with little Ophelia as the fawn character, I want to believe that that her that her journey of making choices, some of them wrong, some of them correct, that she had to live with the repercussions of and the, the effects of those choices, but in the end, when she made the ultimate sacrifice to save her little brother and and uh, and to, you know to put herself in harm's way. That I wanted to know that that that, that would pay off for real. That, that 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 the choices we make in life do have a real reward to them. You know. Sure. Yeah. And so yes. So for me, Ophelia, yes, she's living in the underworld right now as the princess <laughs> next to her father, just like the movie said. You hear that, Julie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear that, Julie? <laughs> I love you, Julie. Hey. <laughs> okay, so you have Pale Man. 
uh, also uh, Grady in the Fear Itself episode. Yeah, that was a and, fun one. And uh, also your character in Quarantine, no. all of which are, those are three of the scariest freaking moments I've seen on TV or film in the last five years. Mm. Do you ever watch some of your work and creep yourself out? Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the, 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 one, the one that creeped me out was the Buffy episode I did, the Hush episode of Buffy the Vampire right. Slayer. That's what, that watching that show. I was like, oh god, I got the sleaziest feeling watching myself because <laughs> here are these like, here I you know playing this a very uh, genteel, kind, polite gentleman uh, who's tearing people's hearts out with that smile plastered on the face. It was it was so haunting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like yeah, roles like quarantine. Like, I mean, See, one of my I, I really enjoyed quarantine, but one of my only gripes about it was that there wasn't enough Doug in it. Oh, you're going, that, that's it. That's very, all we get. Very kind of. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that quarantine freaked me out too. Yes, I. Uh, um, I think it, what what helped was the fact that that the, the suspense was so coming to such a boil by that time in, in the movie that you've got a woman, you know, with a she's blind, she's in the complete dark and there's an infrared camera that can see everything so we the audience can see things she can't and there's there's danger lurking and that would be me in a right. in a crazy makeup with nothing on but my underwear <laughs> and now I want to and I want to clear something up too about that okay. uh I was playing an aged character who had rabies so there was a it was a full torso makeup that had a pot belly and sagging pectorals those were not <laughs> mine okay I'm in very good shape people okay <laughs> yeah you heard it here, folks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Grady Edlin from uh, yes, from uh, from the Fear itself episode. That this, episode this, is freaking this, creepy. Thank you, this, <gasps> thank you. The skin and bones. And I you're, uh, would you, uh, you're yelling at the wife to make the soup. That was uh, how. I don't think it gets more disturbing <laughs> than that. To have have a little little uh, stew of your brother's meat, yeah. um, while yelling at your wife for ruining your life. And that was just. W- Finding that mental space to play him in was really scary for me. Yeah, but but Larry Fessenden as a director was brilliant. The way he the way he concocted and added to that script as we shot because he well that whole that whole cooking scene of like you know mm-hmm. and how about an onion and a carrot and uh, you know a- adding to the the soup he put in once he once he learned that I was kind of a goofy fellow who had a little bit of sense of humor mm-hmm. he wanted to, to put a little bit of that color into the story so that's why the Julia Child's cooking show <laughs> happened in the kitchen there yeah well it definitely played well yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned I mean I think that was the scariest episode of the bunch so. thank you that's very kind of you absolutely very kind. so uh, as an uh, actor who works in makeup uh, are there what are some other performances or other actors that you see and you say wow that guy did a badass job oh yeah 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 yeah. oh golly over the years there have been many like well well, when I was a kid I was I was inspired by the early uh greats um Boris Karloff is someone like after seeing you know I would watch we had a Friday night tv show that was like hosted by Sammy Terry in in Indianapolis Indiana and he would uh play old horror films like you know Frankenstein and the mummy were two that that left you know just like you know, stomach turning imagery in my right. in, sure. in my young mind. So uh, yeah, so Boris Karloff was an early inspiration of like you know he's someone that I think I've I've drawn uh, inspiration from now that I'm doing roles uh, that have been equated with his. Mm-hmm. Now I don't ever want to muddy up 
his reputation or Lon Chaney's by repeating the compliments I've been given uh, that have equated me with these with these fine actors. But uh, but it's a, such an honor that people would bring my name up in, this, in the same sentence with them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sure. Yeah, and Lon Chaney, of course, to the man of a thousand faces, like he just you know, good gosh, a very chameleon-like actor who uh, could embody a character from head to toe. That's, I, I, I like watching actors who are very aware of their physical presence, you mm-hmm. know. And even if you're playing a guy in a t-shirt and jeans or a quadruped that's growling at people down a hallway, to be aware of your of your surroundings and create what Guillermo del Toro calls an ecosystem for this being. Uh, oh, that's a cool way of putting it. It is. It's, it's very, and you do need to do that. You need to consider that so that. So that when action is yelled and the camera starts rolling, it looks like you are an organic being that woke up that way, that day, and not like a guy in a suit. That's that's our that's our aim and our goal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I really I really like that philosophy. Yeah. That's a that's a neat way of looking at it. So, what's coming up next for you? Well, golly, uh, yeah, you caught me on a got a wow on a good day. Um, <laughs> for the, I could type. This is going to take an hour to list everything. Um, let's see. I have a couple of independent type films that, that, that are coming out on DVD soon. I spent so much of last year filming one thing after another, that, and I just got home from a four-month film shoot in France, too, so I mean, there's a lot. Okay, um, let, me, let me go down the list of what's coming in what order. Uh, July 21st on DVD is a silly Super Capers movie. It's called Super Capers, superhero spoof movie in which I play a knockoff of Agent Smith from The Matrix. Okay cameo because it's a cameo uh but that comes out july 21st and july 28th on dvd is a dvd release of um, angel of death which was a sony pictures television webisode series on crackle.com their 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 website and it's now being uh, compiled and re-edited together as a feature film which it was originally shot as um I believe it, I believe that might, if I'm not mistaken, you might want to check the facts on this. <laughs> okay. but, but I think that, that that comes out on DVD. Angel of Death comes out on DVD uh, July 28th. And then the a few days before that, I believe it's going to be airing on Spike Television. Okay. Spike. Cool. The Guy Channel. Um, and uh, Angel of Death is a mafia kind of um, hit woman named Zoe, or uh, the actress Zoe Bell, a stunt woman turned actress Zoe right. Bell. Kick-ass woman. Gosh, she's amazing. She was the woman in Death Proof, no? Death Proof, that's right. Yes. The, the, the awesome stunt on the car hood. Absolutely. And she, um, she also was Lucy Lawless's um, stunt double in Xena Princess Warrior. She was also Uma Thurman's double in Kill Bill. And she's an, she's an amazing presence on film. And, and this Angel of Death is her first starring vehicle as herself. Oh, very you know, cool. So I'm, I'm very proud of her. And she, I played her doctor in the movie. She's a mafia hit woman. I am her mafia doctor, and I'm hopped up on heroin. <laughs> so, uh, so we had that. There's our. There's your setup. That sounds like a fun show. So right? yeah. So July 28th. Check that out on DVD. Angel of Death. Will do. Then, uh, then um, later in the summer, I did. I did a, a, a an independent um, horror film last year called Cyrus. Cyrus, starring Danielle Harris and uh, Lance Henriksen and. Uh, and I play a I, another cameo in that. I'm playing a psychiatrist who's between you know bloody gory scenes. I'm in my office talking to the camera, sort of like documentary style, telling you about the psychology that goes behind a serial killer's mind. Okay. <laughs> then uh, 
I did another mafia-based movie called Gray Scale, in which I played a mafia hitman myself, a cold-blooded killer with a bit of a sense of humor. Uh, so you got a little mafia theme going. Yeah, this is the, this is the year of mafia jobs. This is that's, that's really, really fun. And these are all, by the way, these are the, the running theme here is that they're all without rubber makeup on my face. These which are is all nice, Doug right? is Doug, yes. Which was kind of a... Didn't have to get to the set four hours early? Yeah, that, that part of it I like. Now, I, I don't want to give up the makeup jobs altogether, of course. Right. I, um, I I want to enjoy both worlds or all the world, the whole world of acting, which is well, right, all... Right, because you do voiceover work, too. As I, well. do, I do, I do, I do. In fact, I just worked with Lance Hendrickson, speaking of him, I, uh, from Cyrus. Um, we did a uh, and Christopher Lloyd. We did a uh, a little drama for uh, Halloween, like a, a scary story for blind kids. Mm-hmm. So it's all audio, and they're going to put them in a theater with sense um, uh, around all around the speakers and um, little uh, air spritzers that put out scents and smells. <laughs> so it's a whole it's like a scratch and sniff, uh, you know, audio presentation, which is great. So. Uh, yeah, and I, and I did uh, some voiceover, some animation, and a thing called Quantum Quest. If you look up Quantum Quest on IMDb, you will find every, gosh, every major actor in the world is in this. And I, I was just tickled pink that they asked me to be a part of it. Oh, it's very educational about, uh, about uh, uh, quantum physics and, and protons, neutrons, all of that nonsense mm-hmm. so that, I, I, that I don't understand because that's why I'm in the arts and not the <laughs> sciences, yeah. So, I was uh, a liberal arts major as well. Yeah, there you, go, there you go, there you go, yeah. Yeah, let's see, there's more. Oh, okay. Um, yes, and then, of course, My Name is Jerry, which is sort of outside. It's also another, another role with my face. This is my first time in a starring role that carries the entire film with my own face. And my Name is Jerry was a, kind of a departure for me. Um, I wasn't a bad guy. I wasn't like a, you know, a supporting player that comes on and goes, waka, waka, yada, and then leaves. Mm-hmm. I was the story. I, the story was about this Jerry character that I played, middle-aged white guy going through midlife crisis. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a very shortened version. Kind of like the reinvention of oneself. Right. And, you know, uh, and it, it, being in my 40s, I know what that feels like. And so this Jerry character was actually written specifically for me by a former film student that I did a short film for when he was in film school. So... Uh, this is one of the reasons why I do student films to this day. If I, if I, or, or any short or uh, independent film, if, 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 if the script is there, if the character is there, and if the director is there, if I look into his eyes and can see something behind them that's either a little bit kooky and, and exciting or inventive, creative, visionary, um, then that's a project that I'll want to do. If, if we have time. I know because they often don't have budget, right. so, so you have to make time. Uh, but, um, so that, that's what happened with My Name is Jerry. Um, it, it was, that's what started the whole process. And four years later, after meeting him at film school, Morgan Mead was the director, uh, uh, who con- who, and it was his concept for a story to start with, too. He wrote this specifically for me, and, um, and then we produ- he, it was produced and filmed back in my home state of Indiana at my old Ball State University campus, even. So uh, uh, I'm very proud to have been a part of that project. And so that's, that's finished now, and it's going on the festival circuit, and hopefully will be, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if it would be a theatrical distribution type of film. Uh, I could easily see it on TV, like the ABC Family Channel right. or something like that, with a DVD distribution to follow easily. Okay. So that's, my name is Jerry. I'm looking forward to that. Um, also, I did a, an epic end-of-the-world story uh, called Legion with Dennis Quaid and Paul Bettany and Tyrese Gibson and a host of other people. Uh, it is a good versus evil, uh, you know, angels and 
end of the world story uh, that, that I did a cameo in, a cameo called The Ice Cream Man, which sounds happy, but when you meet the ice cream man, you will see something's quite wrong with him. So I'll let you just figure that one out, and that comes out sometime in uh, 2010. Great. Also coming out in 2010, January, is the film that I just finished, Serge Gainsbourg, V. Héroïque which is a French way of saying a life heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you spent four months in France? In France, in Paris, uh, filming. Uh, this is a, a large-budget foreign film. Uh, Universal Pictures will be distributing it, and it is uh, a life story biography of Serge Gainsbourg, singer-songwriter from the 60s, 70s, very, very mm-hmm. iconically huge Absolutely. in France. And kind of like a Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra for us. Uh, and a cultural icon. The French still revere him to this day for his daring ways and his... His bucking the system, and his he was very off color, and and booze and cigarettes and women were all you know his life, and and uh, they were retelling his story, and I played a fantasy character in the film. I was his alter ego, his his muse, if you will. Mm-hmm. I was the character that only he could see and talk to, uh, so I kind of like he couldn't create music without me, and yet I was also. If his moral compass was missing, that would have been my fault, too. You see what I'm saying? So it was a really... The deli- devil on the shoulder. It was a so delicious true. role, absolutely delicious role to play. And, uh, and getting to work with um, Eric Elmosnino, who played Serge Gainsbourg, wonderful French actor. The whole cast, I was the only American actor in the whole movie. Did you have to learn the and French for this one? I had to learn the French for this one, just like Pan's Labyrinth, the Spanish. Here I am, like, learning dialogue. I don't know what I'm saying. But, no, I had, I had a translation, and, uh, and I had a French coach, and, and uh, yeah, so there, there was love. And that'll be coming out in January of 2010 with many accolades, I do believe. I do believe so. Da-da-da-da-da-da, yeah. And then there's more coming uh, as far as what, what I'm filming next. I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fielding scripts as we speak. And there's a couple of huge projects that it would be, oh, my gosh, drop dead, you're kidding me, that I cannot talk about yet. But, okay. yeah, there's two. Uh, now that we're talking uh, here at Crypticon, uh, talking on, you know, uh, horror bone daddy bat, you know, radio <laughs> here, either one of these, they're, they're, they are... Um, legendary gothic iconic horror figures oh that sounds good both of them and and both uh, each movie has serious potential to, uh, happening um yeah serious so that's why i can't talk about it because i'm forbidden and, and they're not and they're not done deals for me yet either so but uh but it could be very exciting well, we'll, we'll keep an ear out and we'll yes definitely report yes now you can all start guessing what i'm talking yeah. about yeah exactly okay fantastic all right, so uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier. Music. Well, yeah, one of the big uh, features on the Bone Bad Show is music. What do you listen to in your spare time? Yes. Gosh, you know, your listeners are going to like start making fun of me right now. Because <laughs> I like I like uh, pop music. I'm se- No, I'm serious. Okay, wait. Now, first of all, I'm old. I have this, I, in my defense, um, I can't go too raucous because I'm 49 now, and i got to take it easy. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, uh, I've always enjoyed a good gutsy ballad. You know what I mean? I've always enjoyed uh, uh, strong vocals. You know, like um, everyone hates him, but I love Michael Bolton. Now, come on, you stop making know. fun of me. Yes, really? I do. <laughs> I also like early Mariah Carey, okay. early Whitney Houston, um, uh, Celine Dion. I know. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. But the girl can sing, okay? Hey, you like what you like. I'm serious. Gospel music too. If you give me 
a, a, a large busted black woman in a choir robe, I am the happiest thing in the world. <laughs> yes. That's the kind of singing I love to okay, hear. Okay, well, we can meet in the middle on Aretha Franklin. Can we? Yeah, we, exactly. Absolutely. We can. Absolutely yeah. we can. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes. And uh, so so there's that. And I also fancy myself a little bit of a singer. I, I sing in my own church, and I uh, used to play piano, but, uh, you know, but I just used to play. I took piano lessons in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. That, is, that doesn't mean I used to play piano. But um, so uh, I, I do I do enjoy the uh, music. And in the film television world, uh, getting to do music videos has been a treat for me, mm-hmm. and it's a different different animal altogether than making a movie or a TV episode. It's uh, it's a different art form altogether, really. And doing videos like uh, uh, Madonna's bedtime story or uh, Marilyn Manson's um, "Don't like the drugs, but the drugs like me." I think that that was how, <laughs> or or I do like them and they don't like me. I don't know. Anyway, what. Well, uh, uh, you know, these are uh, those were artistic. Uh, I'm equivocal about the drug thing. Challenge, right? Yeah, exactly, something <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. And then the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I I, I did a, a video with them too, with Chris Farley playing a the. It was before, right before he passed away. Uh, the black and white circus sideshow theme, and I played a, a contortionist in that. So that's one of, one of those places okay. where the Another legs time. behind the head yeah. trick came in handy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I got to meet Anthony Kiedis and Flea and Chad and yeah, yeah. I hung out with the guys. Yeah, you know, it was, it was like it was great fun for me. Uh, so yeah, I, I do. I do. The world of music has been good to me and, and is still good. And you know what? I have a secret. I think a lot of us have a secret fantasy of making our own CD one day. You know? Yeah, we yeah. all do. I don't, I don't think it's going to sell, but I want to make it. <laughs> I want to at least make one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so and then one last question. Uh, what we always ask every Bone Bat show is, mm-hmm. uh, what pisses you off? What pisses Doug Jones off? Oh, I can tell you. You know what pisses me off, uh, 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 Steve? Yes. If I can call you that. <laughs> what pisses me off is people who ask me, what pisses me off? <laughs> that pisses me off. I, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see I'm all worked. I'm going to get red in the face, exactly. folks, if you can't see that. No, I, I, very little pisses me off, to be honest with you. Yeah. In fact, you can just use that segment by itself. But if you really want a real answer, I would say it's selfish people. Selfish people piss me off when they feel that they are entitled to the world's graces without having to do jack to earn it. That pisses me off. Thank you. And that's a good note to go out on. Okay. So thank you very much, Doug, for joining me on the Bone Bat Show. Thank I really you so appreciate much it. for having me. So see what I mean? What a nice guy, huh? Man, he is, you know, you're not kidding. That guy is a great actor. Listen to that interview. You can't even tell that the guy is being interviewed by a total douche. He, he treats you like with <laughs> respect or something. That's that's amazing. You see, that is acting right that there. That is acting. That is what a master thespian can bring to the table. Yeah, and you know the other thing, you wouldn't know that during the interview you were completely naked, and he just he, he just performed right through it. Exactly. So you, a, a true a true professional. That's all I can say. Yes. So next up, I've got a little bit of a post game I recorded with uh, Brother D from Mail Order Zombie. So let's check that out. I'm Tom Atkins. Thrill me. You're listening to The Bone Bat Show. Hey, this is Steve from The Bone Bat Show, and I'm sitting here with Brother D. What's up, my brother? We're uh, kind of just chilling after uh, our Crypticon Seattle 2009 experience. Yeah, yeah. And so what would you think of the show, man? You know, this is our second con, and it was a blast. Had a lot of fun. Got to meet up with, uh, you know, a good friend. Not you, somebody else, but no, I guess. 
Now I got to hook up with you, and that was a blast. We just got to hang out. It was interesting to kind of compare this to Horror Hound because this is my second con experience, and totally different event, totally different vibe, but still had a blast. Uh, I got to meet some people, got some recordings for my show, Plug. So had a good time. Cool. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it so far too. I am going to go back tomorrow. Uh, this is sat- Saturday evening when we're recording this. I'm going to check out Dead Snow tomorrow Uh-oh. on the big screen. I'm Uh-oh. looking forward to it. Although it's not quite as big of a screen as I'd like, but still. Yeah. Now, see, I didn't see any of the movies here. What kind of a screen are they showing them on? Um, it's a you know a big conference room screen, mm-hmm. so it's nice, but it's not movie theater Dolby Digital sound <laughs> type of a thing. But I, I did see uh, some uh, movie shorts yesterday that were pretty cool. There was a a, a film from I believe New Zealand called Zombie Movie. Have you seen that one? Zombie Movie. It's kind of about three metalheads who were stuck in a car for a week. No, it I was, need to see this. It was pretty hilarious. I really oh. enjoyed that. That was the highlight of the little sh- short hour that right. I saw. So. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I, yeah, clueless. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. And uh, <laughs> I, I stopped to buy the Howard Sherman panel, which mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately was kind of sparsely attended, That's but I bad. really enjoyed it. He had some great stories, mm-hmm. both about, you know, just kind of his career and specifically about uh, Day of the Dead. So right I enjoyed that. It was, it was a good time. Very cool. Now, I sat in on the Phantasm panel today. Oh, how was that? That was a lot of fun. It was great. We had Don Coscarelli. We had Reggie Bannister. Uh, we had Kat and we had Bill, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Lady Lavender and uh, Jody. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of it, Don Coscarelli busts out his phone, speakerphone dials Ingress Grimm. <laughs> so he was there as well in spirit and voice, but just not corporeally, right. which I suppose makes sense for the tall man. So we got to talk a little bit to him as well, and that was a lot of fun. A lot of question and answer, kind of laid back, and just got to hear you know some neat stories about the the making of the film and you know this Phantasm family they're always talking about about how right. tight they are, and that was just that was fun. I did try to record some audio from that, so maybe keep your fingers crossed that might show up over on my show next week. So cool, that's that's great. Did you happen to go to the uh, Troma panel today? I did not, but okay. I did run into Lloyd Kaufman in the, on the floor. Uh, he was introduced as Mel Brooks, star of Spaceballs, but I did run into Lloyd Goffman, <laughs> so I did get to talk to him for a little bit, and a hell of a nice guy, uh, always the salesman, you know, which I suppose you got to be, especially when you're trauma, when Blockbuster won't carry your work, you, you got to do something to kind of get yourself out there, and he, he was always on. Yeah. You know, good for him. So. Well, he, he definitely knows how to promote, how to, to oh, you yeah. know, be a advocate of his, <laughs> his company's work. This is true. This yeah. is true. Very cool. So, uh, you know, uh, let's see, I think you and I mm-hmm. had a very special photo picture, uh, photo taken together. Yeah, we've, we've got a, a special <laughs> photo for the Tuesday night graveyard shift that uh, we will be, uh, I, I'm sure they've seen it by now, and uh, just yeah. let's just say, it's on, it's, folks. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that's the closest I'll ever get to carrying a real weapon like that, and I think I'll just leave it at that. There you um, go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a good time, and it was. I'm, I'm glad that you you know, were oh, able yeah. to come up, and we were able to hook up and cruise the show. That was fun. I mean, we'll talk about this over on MOZ, but I mean, we had an issue getting here. We we actually missed most of Friday. Uh, we actually missed so, all of Friday. Actually, let me take this that question. Is, so, is it the convention curse that <laughs> is bedeviling mail order zombie? Because it seems like you're kind of unable to go to any convention without. <laughs> The planes, trains, and automobiles sort of a situation happening. You know, we had such trouble with traffic. Getting out of Portland, uh, getting into Seattle, I started to imagine that every driver in every car was Corey Haim. <laughs> um, that son of a bitch kept us from getting here on time. Uh, it was just it was just a mess. I don't know if it's a curse. I, if it is, I, I would like to 
publicly make an appeal to whoever cursed us and say, please get rid of it because <laughs> this, this whole ruining our con thing or threatening to ruin our con thing is getting old. I'm just saying. <laughs> and I was sitting in the executive lounge sipping lemonades waiting for you to get here. I mean, it, it, it was, yeah. There were beautiful women bringing me drinks. You and son I, of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> was it you? Did you do this? No, I no, had nothing no, to do. No, 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 and I didn't even go to Whorehounds. You, you can't <laughs> finger me on this deal. <laughs> this is true. Now, we, we got here Friday night, like right as things were closing up. And I mean, we cruised the vendor room for a little bit and then hung out with you, which was a blast. Uh, and then Saturday, we got there right when they opened and pretty much and, and just yeah, had some fun. Worked so. to the show, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And Meeting Ken Foray was, I think, the highlight. That today. was I a had blast. a great time. That, that was, was fun. Blast. He um, was a hell of a nice guy. Uh, I mean, at this point, will have you will you have played the audio that he recorded yes, for you as yeah. well? So yeah, he did the same for us, and it's like, no, nah, let's do it again. That wasn't very good. I, I got a better idea. Let's do it again. So that was so cool. It's like yeah. he wanted to do it better for us. Mm-hmm. Now, how cool is that? And, and he, yeah, he was just so affable and friendly and funny. Oh, yeah. So it was an absolute pleasure to meet sure. him. That was kind of neat. Uh, he was there, you know, because he's Ted Furry, but he was also showing Black Santa's Revenge, which I picked up a copy of. You haven't had a chance to watch it. Now, I right? have not. Not, is, not in the just in the four hours since we've been apart. Uh, well, you know, it is a short <laughs> movie, so I didn't know. But, um. I love that. I was reading the uh, disclaimer on the back that says that it's only twenty minutes long. But it has enough violence, profanity, and sex for a full movie. It is a classic movie. I absolutely loved it. I saw it on the big screen in Portland around Christmas time. And as soon as I saw it, I, I you know, got home. I went to the website, bought three copies to send to friends for Christmas <laughs> presents because it's just a blast. It's so much fun. Y'all should check that out. Yeah, I can't wait to see it tonight. And I have to, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. Got to meet Reggie Bannister. Were, were we together at that yes, point? Yes, we were. I tried real hard to keep my fanboyism in check. I, I mean, I wanted to say, dude, will you adopt me? <laughs> but uh, I think the closest I got to was, uh, you're just the baddest motherfucker I've seen on TV. So, yeah. Or on the movie. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hell of a nice guy. He was. He was a really sweet man. Every, everybody was just Don Coscarelli was a really nice oh, guy. Oh, yeah. sweet guy. Uh, everybody was really friendly that I approached, and it was just, it was fun. Yeah, it was, a, it was definitely a fun show, and I've enjoyed it, and uh, I, I think I'll do it again. Absolutely. You know, we, we might, if we can figure out how to avoid this curse that we keep talking about. Yeah. <laughs> the whole yeah. traffic thing. Just, mm, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Met some friends that I've seen at other cons mm-hmm. for other events and making some new ones. And just, it was a lot of fun. Cool. Well, uh, so by now, you're going to have a bunch of coverage over on Mail Order Zombie. So oh, yeah. I would encourage all my listeners, if you haven't already, to cruise over there and check that out. I appreciate There's that. going to be a bunch of links, too, to Ken Foray's site, because oh, you promised him, and he'll come and fuck you up if you don't. I know he will. I don't want to, <laughs> that is a man who is not to be trifled with. Now, I'm a tall guy, and, and you know a lot of these guys, they're, they're shorter than me. Like, Reggie, Reggie he's, he's awesome, but he's shorter than me. Yeah, you know, yeah. Tom Atkins... Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a badass, but he's a little short of me. Ken Foray, I'm not going to question. No. <laughs> he, he was a big guy, and, uh, dude, I've seen him in action. I, I No. No kidding. No. I mean, the man went toe-to-toe with Leatherface, for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, and, no, not going to happen. So. Very cool. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks for taking a few minutes with me to uh, recap Crypticon 2009. No problem. Can you unlock the door now? Because I really would like yeah, to get out of here. No, uh, I have to show you some stuff that I've been working on. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. (laughs) Take it easy, folks. Hey, fans. It's Ken Forey. Just want to tell you about Mail Order Zombie. Great company. They review zombie films, any zombie film, every zombie film. 
and it's uh, something you should tune into. So if you get a chance, go to the website, look these guys up, Mel Zombie, and find out what the hot zombie films are today. What's going on? These guys are right on the, the cutting edge of, of reviewing zombie movies. And if you're a zombie, or you want to be a zombie, or you're thinking about being a zombie, or your mom's a zombie, your dad's a zombie, your damn mother-in-law's a zombie, tune in to Mel Zombie, baby. You'll find out what's going on. Ken Forey, and that's out. Greetings from Tromaville. This is Lloyd Kaufman, president of Troma Entertainment and creator of The Toxic Avenger. You know, folks, when we're not making those great movies like Poultry Guys, Night of the Chicken Dead, and Terra Firmer, and Tromeo and Juliet, and The Toxic Avenger, the Troma team likes to kick back and, and listen to The Bone Bat Show because The Bone Bat Show is, is the best, the best entertainment that I know of. All right, so time for a little multimedia triage. Uh, as promised, uh, I wanted to discuss... Dead Snow, the uh, film it uh, just released in 2009 in Norway from uh, director Tommy Workola. Uh, it is uh, kind of the story. It starts out in very Wait, is much... Is that the guy that invented those cough drops? I think a Workola. Yeah, he Sweet. blows the big He's horn. He's a talented man. Yeah, he is. So uh, it, the, the film starts out very much with kind of, as kind of a homage to like uh, Evil Dead, that sort of thing. Uh, oh, you're not a... doing that homage thing again, are you? <laughs> oh, shit, I did, didn't I? <laughs> Whole film starts out as a homage to uh, <laughs> Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, with uh, a group of Norwegian medical students who are going away to a cabin in the mountains for Easter vacation. And, uh, of course, the area was once basically run roughshod over by a very badass group of uh, Nazi soldiers who... Uh, basically raped, pillaged, and, you know, controlled that area during World War II. At some point, the uh, locals finally had had enough and chased them up into the mountains where they supposedly froze to death. Uh, uh-huh. the, uh, the students find a, a box of gold in the cabin, and uh, not long after, zombie madness ensues. Uh, just a, a really fucking fun film. Uh, had a lot of great humor in it, so fans of like Return of the Living Dead or Shaun of the Dead would really dig this flick. Uh, and, and what's more, uh, a lot of great uh, gory effects, a lot of kind of, you know, uh, physiological humor, I would guess, you know, with intestines and different body parts and things that are, that are very funny. And uh, the, the, the sound and the music in it is great. The, the photography with, like, these big snow-swept kind of vistas and cliffs. Uh, very good-looking film, and I just had a fantastic time watching it. It's the, the, the type of thing that when it comes out on DVD, I'll be snapping it up right away. Now, is that something we have to we have to wait for on DVD, or are we going to be able to see it in theaters? Well, as I understand it, it was just uh, going to be released on uh, June 12th in the U.S. in uh, selected theaters, so... Nice. Keep an keep an eye out at your local art house because they definitely oh, that, could be. That was a body part joke, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, they, they, it did play here in town at a Seattle International Film Festival recently. I did know it was making the festival circuit too, so there's probably a couple different ways you can see it. But uh, yeah, if you like your zombie horror and you like it with a little bit of humor, uh, do not miss Dead Snow. It's a fantastic time. Yeah, I can't wait to check that out. Cool. So. Uh, we're pretty much getting close to wrapping up the show and uh, jumping into some filthy jokes. But uh, one thing I would like to say is uh, 
If you've enjoyed uh, this evening's coverage of Crypticon 2009, you can check out a little more at uh, Mail Order Zombie. Their episode 72 has full coverage, including uh, a bunch of stuff about Phantasm that uh, I didn't even touch on. Uh, Brother D's a big fan of Phantasm. And also, uh, Seattle Geekly, episode 18, is going to have full coverage. Their podcast I just started checking out, and I really enjoyed, and I'm looking forward to hearing their take as well. So check that out. Also... You know, by next episode, Gordon and I will be back to our dick jokes and music. But uh, if you are looking for a horror fix, uh, there are a number of podcasts I listen to on a weekly basis that you ought to check out. Drunken Zombie, Night of the Living Podcast, Bloody Good Horror, Cadaver Lab, and the previously mentioned Mail Order Zombie are all great shows who deliver the goods every week. And uh, if you're looking for a horror fix, they do a great job for me, and I think you'll enjoy them. Filthy joke time? Filthy joke time. All right. So, uh, you know, I I had trouble, you know, I'm I'm kind of in a horror frame of mind. So I I was kind of having trouble coming up with any any jokes that were really filthy. So I kind of went for the fucked up. Okay. So here you go. You can't Uh, play to your strength, play to your your fucked up-itude. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I I have several. So uh, what's a serial killer's best pickup line? I give up what? Excuse me, does this handkerchief smell like chloroform to you? (laughs) That was funny. Oh, thank you. So the serial killer kidnaps a little girl and takes her into the woods. And the little girl says, please, mister, it's dark and creepy in here. I'm scared. The killer replies, you think you're scared? i got to walk back to the car alone. Yeah, that's funny. You've heard that one before? Yeah. What's the difference between a Mercedes Benz and a dead clown? (laughs) What? I don't have a Mercedes in my garage. Nice. I was going to say not everyone's been in a Mercedes Benz. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Uh, on the same note, what's the difference between a table and a dead clown? What? You can't have sex with a table. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen the right porn. <laughs> Speaking of clowns, what should you do if you're attacked by a gang of them? Give up what? Go for the jugular. Oh, yeah. Go for your jugular. What's better than ten bodies in a garbage can? Well, one body in ten garbage cans? Exactly. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> got, got one. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Pee-dook. And it's your joke, sir. <laughs> I don't know if I could compete with that. I'd still try to go filthy. Maybe disturbing, but filthy. <laughs> Rocket, then. All right. So this these these two friends they they are on a hike, just hiking off out of town, and they get to the railroad tracks, and they they say, you know what, we need to have an adventure. I'll go one way down these railroad tracks. You go the other way down the railroad tracks, and we'll we'll see what we find. Have an adventure. We'll come back tomorrow, meet right here, same time, and we'll tell each other what happened. So they do. The next day, the first guy goes, so tell me about your adventure. And he spins some yarn about hiking down the railroad tracks and surprising some hobos by the bridge. Really not very interesting. And he said, well, tell me about your adventure. Well, I went down the railroad tracks. Around that bend over there, I found a girl. And I couldn't believe it. She let me do anything I wanted. Really? Oh, yeah. So you guys, oh, yeah, we, we had we had sex. We had doggy style. We had reverse cowgirl. <laughs> we, we, we did the, you know, the Chinese basket scrog. Wait, really? Between the tits up there? Really? Anal? Yeah. Just on and on. Describe me everything you can. He goes, what? Wait, did you did you uh, did you get a, a blowjob? He goes, well, no, I, I didn't. I didn't get that. 
Why not? I couldn't find her head. <laughs> that is fucked up. <laughs> Thank you. A little, little necrophilia humor there. Now I'm absolutely uncomfortable. So uh, <laughs> what a better way to go out on the show. Uh, so I'd like to throw out a few thank yous to Tom Atkins, Ken Foray, Tim Seeley, Lloyd Kaufman, and, of course, Doug Jones. Uh, thank you all for your time. And thanks, of course, to Jorge and Barefoot Barnacle. We couldn't do it without you, boys. Uh, Brother D and Miss Bren, thanks for coming to the show and for spending time with uh, my family and I. We had a wonderful time. Uh, we had dinner with them, got to hang out and play some rock band. It was a lovely evening, and uh, we just had a great time, so thanks. Uh, Did you, you like feast on on, on bodies or, or like cover yourselves in bloody pentagrams together or anything? No, uh, you, you may not know this, but Brother D and Miss Bren are vegetarians, so we had uh, vegetarian tacos. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. Yeah, well, you know, I put out a mean spread when you're my guest. You should know this, of all people. I do, you are, yes. So, anyway. Did you just light a lighter? Are you smoking now? <laughs> no, I did not light a lighter. So like, I'm not smoking. Although I sound like I'm smoking because I'm still battling this cold. That's why I got the extra deep, low, sexy voice. Today. For a second, I thought I was listening to Smodcast. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, our normal bullshit. You can find us... Uh, on Bonehand.com and MightyWombat.com uh, every week. Uh, and uh, you've got a brand new uh, column out, do you not? Uh, but see, we, I write these things. We, we record these things. I never know when anything's happening. But yeah, yeah, new column once a month, DavisLifeMagazine.com. Look for the G.J. Calkins column because that's me. There's a, we have a link for it right there on the uh, Bonebat page. So uh, you can't miss it. Uh, and it was particularly funny this month. So enjoy, folks. Thank you. Uh, normal stuff. Uh, if you uh, enjoy what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes or uh, alternately at uh, Zencast or the Zoom Marketplace, uh, Podcast Alley also. Uh, if you'd like to contribute to the show, give us a holler at 206-203-3115 or uh, email us at steve at bonehand.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am Bonehand. If you want to follow and listens to my listen to my intermittent musings uh and uh, that's pretty much it got anything else dude nothing all right we'll have a horrific week this is steve this is gord later
Okay, it's Ken Foray again, speaking for the Bone Bat Show. And you got to check SJ, man. I mean, he's got the greatest show in the world. And I know I said this before, but you really, I'm, I get a lot of the people who come up to me at conventions and, and different events, festivals, and they want me to say something about their show. And, and sometimes I, I accommodate them. But when I run into a special group and someone that I really like and I think they really represent the genre and they really are for the fans and their fan base show, then it's the Bone Bat Show. And, 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 and make sure that you tune in, give them your support. They're well worth it. And I'm doing this twice, so you know it must be good. Ken Foray and I. And pick up Black Santa's Revenge. It is the shit. <laughs> All right. Talk to you. Love it. <laughs>